and welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike, and I am your host. And yes, <laughs> this show is still around. Sorry for the bit of pod fade there. Um, standard life things kind of get in the way. Summer vacation, then back to school, then... Oh, uh, you name it, it happened. But today is October 13th, 2008. Today is the Navy's birthday. Navy was... Traces its founding to October 13, 1775, where the Congress resolved to outfit a couple of frigates or a couple of sailing ships to do what it needed to do. Get some, I think, uh, interdict some inbound war supplies or try to basically pirate stuff from other people. But mostly to protect their interests and uh, for the impending scuffle and dust up with Great Britain. So yes, today is the Navy's birthday, and I thought, why not, what what a better day, or is there not a better day? Uh, anyway, a good day to get this little project of mine back on the track and get rolling again. A uh, quick update for those of you who have been around and wondering what's been going on or forgotten. Uh, I've been stepping through my experiences in, in naval aviation as a young man. Uh, talked about the training pipeline, talked about life in a fleet squadron, talked about going on deployment. As a matter of fact, the last two episodes, the pre one previous to this, I actually had found my cruise book and went through it, looking at stuff, going over the whole cruise, giving out a few facts and figures. The episode before that talked about departing on deployment time in Hawaii, and time in the Philippines. So we're still working on deployment, what life on life underway is. And so we're going to pick up after the Philippines, our first trip to the Philippines, we were there five days, and uh, go forward from there. Uh, let's see. So we'll take care of other housekeeping issues at the end, email addresses, Things to look forward to, stuff like that. So, all right. So the last episode, like I said, we were in the Philippines. Had a good old time. Um, we set sail after five days in port. And we were underway not even a week, I want to say, when we pulled into Singapore. Now, if you don't know, Singapore is an island, which is also a country. And also a city. So when you go to Singapore, you're visiting a country that's sitting on an island that's city from one end to another. And we pulled in there, like I said, for three days uh, over Easter weekend. I think we pulled in Friday, maybe left Monday. We were there Easter Sunday. Uh, the downside to going to Singapore at that time was... Not having any money, <laughs> at least for me. <laughs> I had spent most of it in the Philippines, and we weren't due to get paid for uh, for a couple more days after we left Singapore. So what little I had was spent on, well, you know, spent there. But I didn't have as much. Well, hmm. let me back up a second. When sailors on ships pull into port one of the things they like to do is drink some alcohol you know tie one on get a buzz get drunk whatever forget their troubles i don't know it's a way to have a good time maybe loosen up who knows but that's that's the mentality at least back then that when you pull into port cracking a beer ordering your favorite mixed drink whatever was the first thing you did when you touched ground now, in Singapore, drinking alcohol is an expensive proposition. When I visited there in 1985, they had a drinking tax. It was a sliding scale drinking tax. And I couldn't tell you what the intention was, either because I've forgotten it since I've been told, or I never truly found out. At this distance, I can't tell you. But the drinking tax was your first drink, let's say beer, costs like seven bucks. 
The beer was $3. The drinking tax was $4. The next beer you got, it cost a little less. Every time you drank, had a drink, this the the drinking tax or the yeah drinking tax would lower. So for you to actually make make it worth your while, you had to sit there a long time and drink a lot of booze. So that that kind of precluded, at least for me, because I didn't have a whole lot of money, that precluded going out and getting drunk every night, like we did in the Philippines. Now another thing about Singapore is compared to the Philippines, Singapore is you know, first world modern city. The island is covered with skyscrapers, or at least downtown. Uh, can remind you of Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, or downtown Los Angeles, or any downtown big city you've been to, because you know, skyscrapers, high rises, you know, glass and steel buildings, that sort of thing. And another interesting thing you'll find when you get to Singapore, at least I did at that time, was uh, banks. Bank of America had a branch there. Uh, I remember that because I belonged to B of A at the time, and hell, there's a branch. I can, I could take out some money if there was anything in it. <laughs> it wasn't, there wasn't that much in the bank at the time, and also was there on a weekend, and you know I'm sharing cabs, and no one else wanted to stop there and see if I could actually pull some cash out. It didn't matter because I ultimately had enough to do what I wanted, but not. As freely as I had spent. Now, you might be asking yourself, why didn't I save anything? Well, when we we didn't know we were going to Singapore until we were done in the Philippines, and had set sail. Oh, by the way, we're gonna do a quick stop here in Singapore. All right. So, one of the things that I did manage to do is make it to the Raffles Hotel. There's a bar in the Raffles, and this bar is the place where legend has it that the Singapore Sling, which is a fairly tasty alcoholic beverage made from a bunch of different stuff. But the Singapore Sling was invented at the bar at the Raffles Hotel. So if you go to Singapore and you want to have a Singapore Sling from Singapore, you needed to go there to get it because, you know, this is the epicenter, supposedly. So I went there, spent my $7, got my Singapore Sling, and seeing how my taste buds weren't that discerning, sure it was good, but I didn't think it was all that much better than any other other Singapore slings I've had at dive bars at that point in my life. So there you go. But that was one of the things that you know I had to check off on the list of visiting Singapore. Another thing I noticed about Singapore is that there's modern fast food places there: McDonald's, Burger King. Um, those are two I remember because I've visited both of them. Baskin Robbins, I remember Baskin Robbins visited there too. Because eating the fast food was cheaper than going to get a drink. Say so McDonald's. And and you may think that's a small pleasure, but leaving San Diego in February and having ship's food or Filipino food. Oh, I had some food in Hawaii, sorry. Had some modern food in Hawaii. So we left Hawaii when early March, I want to say, so early March, ship's food, Filipino food, ship's food, holy cow American fast food, and I'm 20 years old, so I'm going to have, <laughs> I'm going to have McDonald's and enjoy every little bit of it. Same with the Burger King, same with the Baskin Robbins. Um, what else do we have to do in Singapore? Oh, there's a place called Chain Jolly, which is like an open air swap meet kind of place. Um, they also had a a follow on or an extension of it, or I don't know, but it was it was like inside a covered walkway overpass kind of thing, but from one side of a street to another. But anyway, supposedly Change Alley is a place where you can go and get anything you needed. Um, simple stuff, you know. Clothing, shoes, jackets, photography gear, stereo gear, whatever. I personally was on the lookout for a new lens for my camera and an auto winder for my camera. Again, since the money was low, I didn't think I was going to be able to swing the lens, but the auto winder I can probably get relatively cheap. A friend of mine, was uh, he was out looking for a, uh, what was it, a filter, I think, just a polar, polarizing filter 
cut some glare when he took his pictures. Now, another thing about Change Alley is that there's no prices. You can't walk up, look at a price, and go, gee, I don't know if I want to pay that or not. You have to ask the, the, the vendor, how much is this? And he tells you, and then you proceed to haggle. Now, the problem for me with haggling is I, I understand the concept and I enjoy the concept. I, I find it interesting that you can guy give you a price. If you don't find it acceptable, you tell him what you think is acceptable and you negotiate what's fair to both of you. The problem is I find it too entertaining and I start laughing. And sometimes it has a adversely or negative effect of the guy thinking I'm laughing at him. Whereas I'm just giggling with the, the fun I'm having of arguing over something silly. You know, what's a buck, right? But you got to do it. And you got to do it with respect because those people take offense otherwise, right? So I, I wasn't very good at haggling. So I'd have my friend do it for me because he was a master. And again, he's doing it while he's doing it. I'm, I got to turn my back because I'm, I'm laughing again, right? So he'd ask the guy how much. And for example, the guy would say $10. And my friend would say, you know, $8. So the guy thinking he could strike a balance and a compromise and win, he'd say $9. At which point my friend would say $5. If the, if the guy went down, he'd go down twice as much. It was hilarious. And as soon as he said that, it would these people would start getting agitated where they would be, you know, what are you doing? You're trying to take money from me and just basically getting all angry at him for not respecting the way haggling goes by, you know, they say something, he goes down, they find the middle and they agree. <laughs> it would be, they say something, he goes down, they say something middle and he goes down again. And he could do it with a complete straight face. It wouldn't make him laugh. When he wouldn't get upset at them calling him names, whatever. And, you know, sure enough, it worked because, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, trump card is you turn around and start walking away and they come to, come to agree to what you offer so i got my auto winder for <laughs> for i don't know i can't remember uh, 12 dollars maybe i i don't know it was an it was a no-name off-brand auto winder it also it broke before the cruise is over but that's okay um and he got his little polarizing filter for five bucks it was his that was his filter negotiation they said 10 he said eight they said nine. He said five. I think he got it for seven bucks. It was too funny. So another thing about Singapore uh, was that the ship had arranged for tours, which I spent some of my, you know, stash on was to, I want to say it was 30 bucks. And it was a tour of the city showing you around various, touristy I don't know the the sites you need to see in Singapore Singapore is called the Lion City and there's a at the at the main pier oh goodness gracious landing the main landing of the harbor landing in Singapore has this lion fountain that shoots water out of its mouth had to go see that took you to the Tiger Balm Gardens I don't know if you heard of Tiger Balm it's a it's like Ben Gay it's a you know it's a it's a heat agent you like lotion or it's a balm right it's kind of like chapstick you rub it on sore parts of your body and gets it hot and tingly and stretches it out whatever so tiger balm had as a company if i remember things correctly pays for the upkeep of this garden pretty place you know manicured lawns and trees and plants and flowers whatever you go through that um, those are the only two stops I remember, which is sad because there is more to it, but it ultimately ended up at a restaurant where they fed you a lunch of Singapore inspired food and dishes. Um, it reminded me a lot of Chinese food, you know, the noodles, rice, you know, meats grilled or cooked in like a wok come some um, kind of fried or kind of sauteed whatever the only unique thing i had one of them had little chopped up bits of squid in it which um you know tentacle squid tentacle or octopus i don't know what it was but it was 
you know, like half an inch long and look like like a mushroom stalk on one side, but you roll it over and there's little suction cups there. So there you go. <laughs> I ate it. Didn't taste too bad. But again, it was the sauce that was swimming in that you, you, you flavored that the flavor you got. So no big deal, right? Let's see. So what else is Singapore? Again, it was a short trip, three days, ate American fast food, had my one drink at the famous place. Um, and the tour of the city. So there you go. Tiger Bomb Gardens, the Lion Fountain at the landing. Can't remember. Oh, well, speaking of the landing, um, th there's no place for any of the ships in the battle group to tie up. They all anchor in the harbor and take boats into this landing. The fleet landing. Was that what it was called? Fleet landing? Or fleet landing next door? Anyway, you got on these little boats and these water taxi boats motored you to the landing and then you found your cab or whatever to make your way around Singapore. And I want to say maybe one of the nights I might have actually slept on the ship all three nights. Hotels were unlike the Philippines. There's hotel rooms were motel, whatever rooms for rent <laughs> were cheap and expensive. Singapore is a regular modern Hilton kind of place, Sheridan, whatever. So I didn't have the money for that. So I slept on the boat. Um, geez, that's about all I'm remembering for Singapore at the time. Um, so that was April. Okay, so our next landfall is not going to be for 43 days. And the way I can remember this is because at... In the Navy at this time, if you're underway for 45 days, on the 45th day, they would give you two beers. 45 days underway, two beers. And they'd be Bud or Bud Light. And they would be, um, I don't know, if you didn't like beer, it was, it was, not, a, it was not a treat for you. It was just one of those things I guess the Navy did to calm the calm the natives. <laughs> but yeah, well, 43 days. We missed a beer day by two days. And the next place we went was Diego Garcia. But now let me talk about the 43 days in between, okay? Um, after leaving Singapore, we transit the Straits of Malacca, which is between Malaysia and Sumatra? No, I can't remember. I'm not going to look up a map right now. Maybe I should. Um, anyway, cruise the Straits of Malacca, heading towards India, if you break out your globe. And you can see that Singapore is at the tip of... Is that the tip of Malaysia? No, is Malaysia the next? Oh, goodness gracious. You know, that's just... How bad is my geography now that I can't remember? That's all right. I'm going to flip on over here to Googly Maps real quick. Yes, yeah, Singapore is at the tip of Malaysia. Okay. And the other hunk of land here. Oh, by the way, when we were in Singapore, they told us, do not go into Malaysia because they won't let you back into Singapore. Because they figured that most guys wouldn't have... Um, passports and if you did have passports and you had to be careful of getting exit visas and all kinds of stuff so they just said don't go outside of singapore don't cross the bridge into malaysia so i guess yes i i, I guess this land singapore is surrounded by malaysia because these little these little bits of of land that's around Singapore all, are all labeled Malaysia here in parts of Indonesia. Anyway, so transit the Straits of Malacca and, India, and empty out into the Indian Ocean. And we're transiting. We're going to make our way towards our station, which would be in the Gulf of Oman. Okay, the Gulf of Oman 
is a gulf leading up to the Persian Strait and the Persian Gulf. We did not go into the Persian Strait. We did not go into the Persian Gulf. We were in the Gulf of Oman, which, um, again, if you look at your map, uh, that tip of the Arabian Peninsula, the eastern tip, you can see you got the United Arab Emirates with Dubai and then Oman, which kind of curves around that eastern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. So we kind of floated around up there in the Gulf of Oman. So that's where we're headed. And we're supposed to take, goodness gracious, I forget how long it took to get there. A week, maybe, I don't know. But we transit at Straits of Malacca, come into the Indian Ocean. Uh, as we're heading towards our station there at the Gulf of Oman, near the entrance of the Persian Gulf, Strait, Persian Strait, um, the, the word came down that Sri Lanka formerly known as Ceylon, right? Sri Lanka had declared a, how'd they put it? An international water boundary out to 20 miles, unless you gave them some sort of notice, then they would shrink it to 12 miles. Now, you know, the United States, they recognize 12 mile international waters. So they were told to, our ship was told to cruise, close to Sri Lanka, closer than 20 miles, but farther than 12. So I think we did like 12 and a half. I mean, we were close. Um, and just cruise on by, go by Colombo, which is their main big city in the south of Sri Lanka, Colombo, Sri Lanka. Cruise along there and uh, see what the response is. Okay. That was our, that was our little mission. We were going to violate their 20 mile international waters without a warning and see what their response was. Now we got close enough where I was able to grab some pictures of Colombo from the ship with the telephoto lens. They're kind of grainy, but you can, you can see that there's city there. So I want to say we're like 12, 13 miles. I mean, we're close. We're not inside 12. We're outside 12, but right there at the edge. Now this was happening. We transited, we did this transit on a Sunday. Now, on our ship, the USS Callahan, if you don't remember, Sunday was not a ship's work day, which meant that if you weren't on watch or had a specific duty to be assigned to you, you, the day was free to do whatever you want, such as you could on a guided missile destroyer. Okay. And every once in a while, they'd have cookouts. Go out on the back part of the ship, the fantail. They'd set up these big old barbecues and... They'd cook hot dogs and hamburgers, and those who weren't on watch would come out and eat hot dogs and hamburgers, soda, whatever. It was just time to kind of hang out and eat, you know, it was a barbecue, right? Well, this particular day, we were, we were having a barbecue as we were transiting past Colombo, Sri Lanka, testing their international water limit. And we happened to have, they had 50 caliber machine guns uh, set up. At the machine gun points on the boat, there's two of them, one in the back, one in the front. So one there by the back, one by the front. And so we're going to have our cookout just in case some Sri Lankan Navy gunboat guy got feisty and wanted to test us. We had weapons at the ready. So how much of an insult is it that we're going to test your international water limit and at the same time have a cookout where only one-fourth of the crew is on station or one fourth the crew is on duty or on watch or whatever, just because we think we can handle it, right? So I have some pictures of the cookout going on. I have some pictures of one of my one of our pilots standing by one of these machine guns as we did our little international water test. They ended up they did end up sending um, a couple little gunboat. I don't know what they I don't know if they're PT boats. Some they're small, two of them. They, the closest they came with us was, was a mile, and they just basically escorted us until we decided to turn off. Because if you yeah, if you look at a map, you know Colombo, Sri Lanka is on the west coast of of their little island there. So for us to transit, we were moving from south to north within the twelve miles. And once we passed Colombo for a bit, it was sun started going down. We you know, turned 
left and started heading west again back to our station there up in the Gulf of Oman. So then we transit up to the Gulf of Oman. And, you know, again, we're flying every day, 10 hours, five hours in the morning, five hours in the evening, boring holes in the sky, flying around, looking for shipping, doing whatever. Now, we had... Now, if you remember in the... If we looked in the cruise book, we stopped and we had... We had an import, not an import, a... Um, what's the term I want to use? Uh, uh, destroyer tender availability. Um, oh, yeah. See here, I've looked it up. <laughs> we were in Singapore the 7th to the 9th of April. 7, 8, 9, so three days. North Arabian Sea. And then we got to the Gulf of Oman in the North Arabian Sea. We did have some uh, tender availability against the USS Jason, which was floating in the water probably a quarter mile from the ground. from, So we could see desert land. I might have talked about this the last time, actually. Uh, about our destroyer uh, tender availability. Did I give me a second here while I try to collect my thoughts? Did I talk about that? I must have, because I actually went down this list of ship's log places just to kind of remind me. So yeah, we did we did a week against we not week against we did a week tied up against the the destroyer tender and then shortly after that we had our USO show where we're talking about the USO show, um, and then when we were done with that we sailed we were on our way to Diego Garcia. Now the reason we went to Diego Garcia I also might have mentioned already was because the one of the ship's four gas turbine engines um, had a catastrophic failure gas turbine engine on a ship is basically a big jet engine and if you know jet engines use compressor stages with little you know the little spinning parts with fans little blades on them right that as the air moves through it compresses it tighter and tighter until it you know has combustion and then makes more spinning or thrust or whatever right so this engine one of the engines had a compressor blade break off and get sucked through the rest of the of that motor and just completely tear it apart so while the rest of the battle group went to Mombasa Kenya you know in Africa we went to Diego Garcia and Diego Garcia is uh, this little speck of land it's a coral it's a footprint shaped piece of coral sticking up out of the Indian Ocean six degrees south of the equator and um, Because that was the closest place we can go to get a, well, how can we, all right, let me think about this for a second. Um, okay. Diego Garcia is like a Ford area, okay? And on it is this 10,000 foot runway. So just about anything in the U.S. inventory that flies can land on Diego Garcia. So how are you going to get a ship's gas turbine engine, which is basically a, a big jet engine from an airplane? They're C-5 engines, okay? They're marine variants of a C-5 jet engine, C-5 Galaxy aircraft, okay? So they pump, put one of these on a C-5 and flew it to... Diego Garcia, because it has this runway they can land there, and there's ship repair facilities there. So we went there to get our ship fixed, along with the USS California, which was the guided, uh, the nuclear-powered guided missile cruiser that was part of our battle group. And I even think the tender, the Jason, might have showed up there. I have a picture somewhere. I'll have to look at it. But anyway, we went there, and everybody else got to go to Mombasa, Kenya. Now, they went to Mombasa, Kenya for three or four days, five days maybe, we were lucky. We were we were on Diego Garcia for ten friggin' days, to include uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, now Diego Garcia, unlike Mombasa, which would be a vacation visiting port, so unless you're on watch or have the duty, you can do whatever you want. Diego Garcia is like the Philippines. You work during the day, and then you're off in the afternoon, and evening. Come back, work during the day, off afternoon, and evening. So. For us, it was 10 days. Yes, we were on solid ground somewhat. And yes, but yes, we worked. I mean, 
we flew off of the ship because you know full-on airfield with all kinds of you know aviation facilities there they gave us a little section of a hangar to to work out of there's p3s patrol engine bombers that are patrol engine bombers you like that four engine patrol bombers that are usually four deployed to Diego Garcia uh, they have some facilities there. So there, there's aviation support going on at this place. So we flew off, such as, you know, you can't fly off. And we got our spot. We did some mid-cruise inspection stuff. We washed the helicopter with nice fresh water. Oh, Diego Garcia does not have its own water cycle. Again, it's a piece of coral sticking up out of the Indian Ocean. So all the water there is made like on a ship with boilers, right? Freshwater machinery. So when you take a shower in any of the buildings, you take you still have to take a Navy shower because the water supply is not infinite. When you wash the aircraft, you have to be careful because, again, <laughs> the water supply is not infinite. Now, the funny thing about Diego Garcia, the aviation support side of it, was that the wash rack was staffed by Filipino guys. So we could tie, we tow our aircraft over to the wash rack to, okay, now a wash rack is an area that has hoses, water, the, the cleaning supplies, ladders, raised platforms, whatever, so you can wash your aircraft, okay? And then, the you know, that's what we call a wash rack. It's not a rack that you hang your airplane on, it's just called the wash rack. Anyway, so we take it over the wash rack to clean our airplane and there's these guys there, you know, 10 bucks will do it for you. <laughs> and we stood there and watched them to make sure they didn't screw anything up. And and they were they were fast, they were good, and the only thing we had to do after is the is cleaning the water out of the voids. <laughs> Cuz usually when you wash a uh, when you wash an airplane, there's little there's little voids, there's little spaces where water collects that you have to get in there with like a paper towel or something, get all that water out of there otherwise it corrodes leads to corrosion. So yeah, they made quick work of the big stuff and we went in with the and did the the small stuff ourselves and it cost us a couple bucks each. It was actually kind of funny how it's kind of approved for by big navy. Um so all right, so that's Diego Garcia. So we did what else did we do over there? I mean, we got um like I said mid uh mid cruise inspection. Every de- detachment at that point, helicopter detachments, went through what's called a mid-cruise inspection, uh, which was performed by some oversight agency to make sure your readiness was still up to speed. The thinking that is, is the farther you're away from home or your home squadron, the less likely you are to follow procedure and policy and just and to succumb to human nature and cut corners. So they had these mid-cruise inspections and you got ready for them by making sure, you know, everything with the aircraft was still up to speed. You hadn't cut any corners on inspect on the regular daily inspections. You had all your tools were in good working order. Anything that needed uh, periodic or preventative maintenance was up to speed. You know, the PM, the PM due dates hadn't passed um, all that stuff. And we used the time to do extra corrosion control measures. We painted bare any kind of bare metal spots that had shown up. All kinds of stuff like that. So that was our 10 working days, really. Was We did a bit of flying every day. And we did serious maintenance or extra detailed maintenance that was you know, kind of getting overlooked. But to get ready for this mid-cruise inspection. So yeah, 10 days. Now... Uh, um, the funny, since we flew off the ship, the, air, the airstrip is actually not too far from the ship, which is kind of funny. But w- once we flew off the ship, we we were able to secure for ourselves, you know, barrack space. Now the barracks were like these bungalows that had like eight or nine beds in them, raised up off the ground, and uh, there's like four or five of them around the central head. So think of any movie, World War II movie, that takes place in the South Pacific. Okay, even though we're not in the South Pacific, we're in the Indian Ocean. But, you know, Jungle Island, these little raised bungalow looking places with screens, right? The screen doors, screen, the top third of it is screen. The bottom two thirds of it are top half screen. Bottom half is wood paneling. That's what these kind of barracks are like. And the 
the restrooms or the heads were kind of the same. Actually, the screens went higher up, right? But it was still kind of open path jungle. Four or five of these bungalows around a, a central restroom bathroom facility. And then also on Diego Garcia, chickens, cats, and donkeys are running wild. No monkeys that you'd think on a jungle island, but chickens, cats, and donkeys. And you were not supposed to monkey you know, monkey around. You're not supposed to mess with them. They would just let them run wild. So we stayed in this this uh, this bungalow place. Uh, they had a two-lane bowling alley at in Diego Garcia. <clears throat> it was always in use. Uh, they had a liquor store which we frequented every day because after we were done, we would tie one on because again, that's what sailors do when they touch ground, right? Let's get drunk and not a whole lot to do on Diego Garcia. Not, you couldn't swim, <laughs> couldn't swim because the ocean was infested with various creatures that would eat you. There was a well-known hammerhead shark that inhabited the, inner lagoon of of uh, Diego Garcia he had a name I want to say it was Harold but I could be wrong and and I, personally when we flew over I saw this huge huge ray manta or, or Delray I don't know what it was but a huge I don't know if it was the kind well, most rays don't bother people anyway but anyway still enough to make you think twice about swimming so you didn't swim um, it's kind of not allowed let's see they had some athletic fields so one day we uh, our detachment. Now, this is when I say our detachment. I'm not including everybody. I mean, there's 15 of us, and we took, yeah, maybe 10. But anyway, we bought a keg of beer and went out to the ball. They had softball fields, and you could rent the softball field, and they gave you a bag of gear, bats, gloves, catcher's masks, whatever, bases. And we challenged one of the other ships that was in port to a softball game. There's some of that stuff going on. Softball games, basketball games, whatever. Anything to pass the time while your ship was getting worked on. Um, so yeah, we're there 10 days. We got, re we got ready for our big cruise inspection. We did some flying. We played some, some ball. Uh, oh, I called home. I called home. I was able to call home from Diego Garcia. I had just got my tax return. It was... What was my tax return? I want to say a couple hundred dollars. It wasn't much couple hundred bucks and I used it to buy what did I get did I get an hour I think for two hundred dollars I got one hour's worth of telephone conversation uh, from the satellite phone place on Diego Garcia so yeah friggin expensive okay two hundred bucks one hour worth of phone conversation so I called home talked to mom dad brother hey how's it going uh, that took 40 minutes, 20 minutes left. I called a friend from high school that I was still in contact with. Uh, she was actually kind of surprised here <laughs> for me. Where are you? Yeah, well, I'm in the middle of the Indian ocean, six degrees South of the equator. Um, so yeah, so 200 bucks, one hour's worth of phone conversation with people back home and, uh, money well spent. Oh, I also took the opportunity to, uh, Oh, no, that happened before. Never mind. I'll back up a second. So those are the things that we did. And ultimately, the ship got its engine replaced. Uh, the way they did it, if you're interested, is that they, uh, they put a, a cable down the smokestack, which has rails in it, because these engines sit on these rails. And so they, uh, you know, unattach, you know, disconnect the engine from its drive shaft or drivetrain and disconnect the, the motor mounts. And they pulled this thing up off the, you know, right up the rails out the smokestack and dropped the new one in the same way. Fairly ingenious if you're not, if you're not all, all that up to speed on ship design. And then we left. All right. Now, what I forgot to mention was on the way to Diego Garcia, we had to cross the equator. Now, the Navy has a long standing tradition of a ceremony when you cross the equator. When you cross the equator on a, on a U.S. naval vessel, those that have already crossed are called shellbacks, and those that have not crossed are called polywogs, or wogs for short, or slimy wog, or effing wog, or anything far worse from there. And 
It is the duty of the shellback to initiate the wog into the ways of the deep when they cross the equator. So think of it as one big hazing, <laughs> uh, Navy-sponsored hazing event, okay, that lasts, in our case, it lasted two days. The first day was silly, not big hazing. They they would, um, different wogs would have to stand different watches. Uh, you know, they'd put one guy on the, uh, on a part of the ship and he'd have like eight pairs of binoculars hanging from him. He had to stand there for an hour. Um, yeah, another guy it was me. I had to take, uh, I had to drop a bucket as the ship was going out. I had to lower a bucket into the, into the ocean, pull up samples of water for them to test for, I don't know what. Um, but we, it was only the afternoon. It wasn't all day. It was like started in the afternoon. We're, we're coming close to the, the equator and we have to make the ship ready for receiving Davy Jones and his, um, and his representatives, uh, the captain, <laughs> the captain dressed up in full dress whites with a sword, chokers, big medals. Got his picture taken with the, you know, who portrayed, portrayed it? I think the I think the command master chief portrays Davy Jones. Um, you know, he dresses up with a beard and does some crazy things. But yeah, so they uh, you know they welcome him aboard, and then let's see what's the next thing. Oh, well, that's pretty much that for that day. And then the next morning, it starts. The hazing starts. They, all the wogs have to line up. They have their wog breakfast. They, uh, okay. Now, see, we were, oh, I forgot to mention something else important. The, the day before, while all this watch is going on, there's a beauty contest. Okay. The beauty contest is designed. Not to, uh, let me back up a step. How can I read? All right. The beauty contest, each department, division, submits, not submits, dresses up one of their dudes who is a polywog. The shellbacks don't participate. A bog, the polywogs dresses up as a girl. Now, I know you might be finding this kind of odd and funny, but remember, this is. Um, 23 years ago, times have changed. Things a little bit different back then. Uh, there's no girls on these ships, okay? So we got guys that dress up as girls. And the department or division or, or area that has the best-looking girl, okay, their polywogs go through the receiving line first. And this has the benefit of getting done quickest, and not having to do anything, well, no, y'all have to do something bad, but you get done fast. You get done first. You're over. You're done and over with. And there's a certain stage of this crossing line ceremony that, that the earlier you go through it, the better off your life is. Okay. Well, as their department, we were we went last. We didn't have anybody that looked good dressed as a girl, so we went last. We we did send somebody up. We did have our beauty contest the day before. We had nobody, so we took our biggest guy and dressed him up like a woman, like a dominatrix woman. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we got laughs, but we still didn't win. <laughs> so we went through last. So while we were waiting our turn, our own shellbacks, which was our department officer in charge, our chief, you know, about half of us, um, we were getting our, our just desserts, I guess. Now... How do I explain this? Uh, okay. People are shellbacks. They have pieces of fire hose that they turn into these things they hit you with on the bottom. And they kind of sting. Okay. And so everyone has their, they're called shillelaghs. And you're getting beat on the ass with your shillelagh because you are walking around on your hands and knees the whole time. As a wog, you're not allowed to stand up and walk on your regular feet you just crawl around everywhere so in the morning of crossing the equator day we get woken out of our beds totally get dressed taken up to the hangar and we're treated to miscellaneous air department shell back to polywog hijinks because you know we're the air department 
We do our air department specific stuff. And when it was our turn, we went down into the line. The first thing you did was you had wog breakfast. Wog breakfast was miscellaneous, edible, supposedly, stuff. It was spaghetti. It was nasty looking. They colored it with green food coloring. And you're supposed to take a bite of it. Okay. Now, remember I said the people who's who won the beauty contest get to go first, right? Well, can you imagine if someone tries to take a bite of this and their stomach r- reacts violently? So even though it's edible, okay, <laughs> um, they they might vomit, <laughs> okay. And if someone barfs inside the okay, now the bog's breakfast was in little low troughs. I'm sorry, so draw on your hands and knees. There's little low troughs full of wog breakfast. And if someone barfs into it, no one's going to clean it up. And if enough people do it, there's going to be no untainted wog breakfast for you when you're the last group to go through this line. Okay? So, now I know why it behooves you to have a good look, a guy that looks good dressed like a girl. So, anyway, we went through at the end, having our wog breakfast, had to take one bite of that stuff. Oh, it was just cold spaghetti, basically. It looked nasty kind of tasted not so good and it felt weird eating it but what are you going to do next step was to uh, swim through this bucket of well like a pool of seawater you're waiting in line on your hands and knees the line creeps forward uh, you're getting your ass beat you're getting spanked essentially by these pieces of fire hose uh, you get back down to the fantail and there's Davy Jones in his court um one of the things you had to do was kiss the royal baby's belly, which was usually the biggest uh, guy that was already a shellback uh, that they could find. And his, and his belly was covered with lard, white lard. Uh, so if you know lard, it's pretty sticky, greasy kind of stuff. And you had to go up there and he'd grab your head and smush it into his belly. <laughs> his belly covered with lard. <laughs> Sorry, I just giggle thinking about it again. Uh, yeah. The two the two dudes that won the beauty contest were sitting there. They didn't have to do all this stuff. That's There's your motivation for even trying to dress up like a girl. If you're wondering why would anyone be willing to dress up like a girl and walk through a beauty contest is because the winner doesn't have to go through all this crap. Uh, they put you in the stocks. Uh, you had to visit the royal dentist would hold down your tongue with tongue depressors that had been dipped in chili sauce or salsa or something so your tongue burned. Um, and if you complained too much, they would give you an injection of also spicy salsa Tabasco sauce thing that they would shoot into the back of your mouth with a, you know, like a ketchup bottle to get you to quit complaining. Um, then they put you, I might be forgetting a couple steps here, but the next thing I remember is they put you in a box with another polywog one guy on the bottom one guy on the top because the box was just like like think of a coffin two people high coffin kind of box right and you had to switch places they close the box they'd be pounding on the side of it and give you like five seconds to switch places which was hard because you know the box is small i didn't understand the the you know how that was a torture but basically i mean the the tongue depressor with chili sauce, yeah. Getting shot with, you know, a shot of Tabasco chili sauce concoction in the back of your mouth, yeah. Getting your face rubbed in in uh, lard. I can understand all these as kind of like tests and punishments, but being in a box trading places, I, I don't know. Anyway, the next thing after that was the worst. And it's the one thing that I understand or understood at the time was a constant in the crossing the line ceremony and that is the belly crawl through a tube of food garbage in preparation for the crossing the line ceremony the kitchen would start keeping all the food garbage not dumping it over the side like they normally do so think of food garbage has run been run through the garbage disposal so it's all smushed and you know it's all commingled it's all been ground up into tiny bits and it's all you know this one big yucky mush 
Well, they put this stuff inside of a rubber tube that's about 20 feet long, okay? So this rubber tube, you have to crawl through this rubber tube with this stinky, smelly, old food garbage all lined across the bottom of it. And you had to belly crawl into this food tube. Now, if you crawled normal, they could see because the tube was, you know, they could see that you weren't doing the low profile and they would spank you with the shillelaghs again and tell you to get down. And if you didn't really comply quickly, you would have the privilege of going through the whole thing again. So, you know, it behooved you to belly crawl through the food garbage because you don't want to have to do all that stuff you just did again. Now, if you thought the wog breakfast was likely to make someone vomit, crawling through stinky, wet, weak, old food garbage that's been garbage disposed and mixed into one of this big mishmash is more likely to make someone vomit. So being in the air department, being the last crew of five or six dudes to go through this, I'm pretty sure at some point we were belly crawling through someone's vomit. Which, you know, doesn't sound good, but if you're a shellback and you're trying to think of a way to punish people, <laughs> making the call through smelly food garbage that might have vomited is probably ranks up there as one of those things that would be unpleasant. And basically that's what they want you to do is they want you to do some unpleasant things as you cross the equator to say that you are now a, to, to, to earn the title of being a shellback. Now, the last thing you're going to do after you crawl through the food garbage is to get uh, dunked in this tank. Now, this tank is like five feet tall. Again, it's like it's like made out of boards with you know rubber lining to keep water in it. So they put you in this tank and they shove you under the water and they bring you up and they ask you, "What are you?" Okay. Now I have to I have to I have to. Uh, tangent here a bit and explain that the whole time you've been going through this the proper response to what are you is that I'm a wog or sir I'm a slimy wog sir or just I'm a wog right to claim anything else earned you a beating and you know on the bottom with these fire piece of fire hose and nothing good came of it so your standard answer was I'm, I'm a wog okay well when you get to this dunk tank which is the end, which if you're not paying attention, you don't know it's the end. They dunk you and they bring you up and they ask you, what are you? At this point, you're supposed to answer, I'm a shellback. If you answer, I'm a wog, guess what? You go back, <laughs> you go back to the end of the line and you get to do it all over again. Your wog breakfast, kissing the baby's belly, trip to the royal dentist, <laughs> trip, crawl through the food garbage, okay? So it behooved you to pay attention and answer, I'm a shellback. Well, shortly after, well, once you get dunked, yeah, I'm a shellback, congratulations, they pull you out, they hand you a towel, uh, you try to, there's a kind of outdoor shower set up where you try to clean off some of the gunk, as much of the gunk that's on you as possible before you go into the ship and take a real shower, clean up and get back to work. Well, as I was standing there, wiping the crap off of me, the ship's chaplain, Actually, it wasn't the ship's chaplain. He was the destroyer squadron's chaplain. But there was a chaplain on our ship that it was a wog. And he decided that he was going to participate in the cross and line ceremony. I'm sure as a... Well, I'm not sure. I would think that as a chaplain, you know, man of God, that he could decline to partake in a hazing... What is ultimately a hazing ceremony that says he can... You know, that he crossed the line. That he crossed the equator. But all the chaplain being good natured man that he was decided to go through the ceremony, the crossing the equator. So here he is. He's he's done. He gets dunked. They bring him up. And they ask him, what are you? And he goes, I'm a wog. And, he, and they kind of look at each other. And they dunk him again. <laughs> and they ask him, you know, bring him up. What are you? And he starts to say, I'm a wog, and they shove him under again because, you know, they don't want to make the poor chaplain go through it again, okay? But he's not answering the question properly. So as he starts to say, I'm a wog, the second time, they shove him so he can't complete his sentence. And I think when he was underwater, the light went on. 
<laughs> because they pull him out. They ask him, what are you? He goes, I'm a shellback, damn it. <laughs> Which I guess, you know, it's funny because, you know, Chaplin's not supposed to swear or whatever, or curse or lose his cool, but he did. So they congratulate him, pull him out, let him get cleaned up. So, yeah, so that's that's the crossing the line ceremony that I, I'm sure that in today's more politically correct Navy that the the ceremony across the equator has probably been toned down. It's probably not as you probably don't get beat as much. I mean, it's probably co-ed girls are on serving on combat ships nowadays. So I have no idea, but I'm sure it is not at all like the crossing the line ceremony was for me back in 1985. So, yeah, I had to go over that because uh, we crossed the equator to get to Diego Garcia and have our 10 days of fun in the sun on this tropical island that doesn't make its own water. Um, where We do a lot of drinking. Um, which was important. Now, when we left Diego Garcia, fast forward. Excuse me. Go fast forward back to where we were. Um, we left Diego Garcia. A TWA flight hijacking occurred. And we were supposed to, when we left Diego Garcia, we were the three or four ships that were there. We were supposed to have a war game with the rest of the battle group, uh, the Constellation and all the other ships that had gone to Mombasa, Kenya. They were going to be the good guys. We're supposed to play bad guys. And we're actually, uh, it sounded like it was going to be kind of fun because we were going to get, as a helicopter crew, we're going to get to do some bad guy fun things and, you know, play mind games with the aircraft carrier, all in the name of training. But um, that TWA flight that got hijacked um, happened at that time, and the war game was canceled, and the whole battle group was uh, directed to make best speed up to back to the, our previous cruising or area of operation in support of any response the United States might need to take in that hijacking of that aircraft. Okay. Um, we're into this for an hour. I think it's time to... I like to keep these about an hour long, so I'm going to I'm gonna cut it off there. Uh, the next episode, I hope to put out in a week or two, try to get back on my regular schedule, and we'll talk about the response to the TWA hijacking and uh, the rest of our deployment. Hopefully I can get that finished in the next episode because the, ne the next episode after that will be the interview with our new young Nugget. No, he's not a Nugget. He's a student naval aviator. He's not a Nugget yet. Sorry. Nugget, someone who's completed flight training. Yes, a uh, student naval aviator who ha is currently going through the pipeline to be a pilot. I interviewed him back in late August, recorded his interview, started to put that together in a show, and realized that I needed to finish my series on the deployment, my deployment, before I started introducing new stuff. So that, that interview has happened. It's been put together. It's ready to be released. And as a matter of fact, the the gentleman in question just contacted me, and he's he's ready to talk about uh, some of his experiences in advanced flight training. He's made his selection. He's going through some advanced flight training and um, has some availability next weekend. So we might, well, not might, we are going to revisit him and he's going to tell us about his advanced flight training. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, let's see what else is coming up. That's about it, really. Deploy deployment. We're going to finish deployment. I have the current recorded interview of the pilot pipeline up until advanced. So it's going to be basically API and primary. We're going to have, we'll have another interview in advanced flight training. And then there's a couple other guys that I've uh, approached about telling their stories and we'll see if they'll come around. Uh, okay. Email two email addresses, naval air crew at gmail.com or Mike naval air.net. Those are your choices. I'd actually prefer if you use the navalair.net address, but I know sometimes old habits die hard. Um, let's see what else we want to talk about. Um, if you want to leave, leave a review on iTunes, you can leave a review on iTunes. 
Uh, there is a forum at the navalair.net, but not many people use it. Uh, to be honest with you, sometimes I forget to check it. <laughs> but if you want to leave uh, some feedback there, feel free. Um, if, you, if email is not your thing, I'll take that. So there you go. Mike at navalair.net, iTunes feedback, or the forums on navalair.net if that is your cup of tea. All right, so uh, that'll do it for this episode. I'm going to sign off now. Stay safe. God bless. <laughs>